Welcome to the Mead Musings Podcast. Here we open discussions on everyday hidden issues. Like living with disabilities and dealing with illnesses. We also cover issues around conditions such as stroke, diabetes, autism, cancer, leukemia and also living in abusive relationships. We focus on helping people see the light at the end of the tunnel. This podcast is available on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Made Musings podcast. Today, my guest is Marie Fraser. She's based in the UK. She has been a victim of emotional abuse. And that went on for over 25 years. She also has a 23-year-old son who has several disabilities. So welcome to the Mid Musings podcast, Marie. Oh, thank you, Toyin. I'm yeah. very happy to be here. Oh, great to have you. I've been looking forward to hearing your story and sharing it with my listeners and your listeners as well. Can you share some information about you, how you became a victim of abusive relationship and just your life generally, what you've been doing so far, really? Yes, of course. I'd be delighted to. Um, hello, everyone. I Yes, I'm Marie Fraser, and today I am a clinical hypnotherapist, an advanced uh, rapid transformational therapist, and also a life coach. And I'm currently on a four-year master's for psychotherapy. But it hasn't always been like that. For many years, I was working in corporate law. I managed law firms in the City of London. And um, I've always been in legal services. With regards to my um, relationships, I, in sort of the early 80s, I'd just come out of a relationship and was very happy to be footloose and fancy free and met a guy at a party um, when I was least expecting or even wanting a relationship. And we had a whirlwind romance, I think you would call it. And within six months of meeting him, I had sold my house up in Manchester and moved to London, Lockstock and, and Lockstock and Barrel. Oh, so um, did you did you live in Manchester before you met him? Uh, yes, I did. Just north of Manchester, but he was from um, Manchester as well. And so we both lived up there, but I met him, which is quite ironic. At his party, I, I was invited with a friend to go with her as, um, as a companion to a party that he was hosting because he was leaving the area to move to London to come to go and work in London. Oh. As I say, I met him at that party and we had sort of a, a whirlwind romance and um I think it was just just under six months I'd moved lock, stock and barrel to London. And it was all very exciting. You know, you're in your early 20s and what have you. It's all very exciting in, in London. I mean, I still find London exciting. Uh, even <laughs> I still course, do. <laughs> you know, nearly 40 years later. So, yeah, I mean, I got a job. I was working uh, in a law firm and he had just moved to this new position so he was working very hard and very long hours. So was I. And because he was the new kid on the block um, at his um, his company, 
she spent a lot of time uh, traveling around the country uh, for that, which was absolutely fine. You know, I was very, very supportive. I also worked very long hours. And um, we sort of came together at the weekends, really, sort of Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday. And, you know, would sort of party, meet friends and do what, you know, young 20 odd year old olds do. All right. So you really didn't get to know his character in depth? No, not at all, really. Not at all. Um, I mean, he came across as very exciting And, you know, he'd done a lot of traveling. He he sort of was a did lots of uh, mountain climbing and stuff like that. So he you know, he came across as very, very charismatic. But no, I didn't actually know him properly when I moved to London. I mean, even though we'd had this six month whirlwind romance, I'd probably spent in that six months, probably three weeks together over, you know, we'd. Uh, at the weekends and things like that. But I had nothing. I was excited. I had nothing to really, you know, I mean, okay, I, I had my family, but I just thought it was an opportunity I, sh- I shouldn't sort of let go. And, did you, you, know, did the, you get married to him? I did marry him, but I didn't marry him until several years later. Oh, okay. um, I mean, we got a, we got a flat together. And so, as I say, I was working long hours he was working long hours we had fun at the weekends etc and then I, you know I, I thought she was a bit eccentric but I just sort of brushed that aside I mean I didn't have to be honest with you massive experience of of men I sort of more or less used to go off my sort of gut reaction you know when I if I was sort of was asked out or something like that but he, he made me laugh I think you know what At that time, he he had a great sense of humor and did make me laugh. And he was very interesting. And I like interesting people. So we sort of had a lot to talk Mm. about. So when you say he was interesting, what were the things that you found interesting about him? I think it was the fact that he was well-read. He was well-traveled. So, and he was also quite sort of, um, what's the word? spontaneous you know yeah. I'm, I'm i'm a very sort of spontaneous person myself okay. um you know i mean I, I might decide to go i might decide to do a big holiday um 12 months in advance but you know if i just want to sort of go if it's a big holiday so for example if i'm going to drive around norway for three weeks that takes a bit of planning but if i'm just going to pop over to europe for a week's sand and sun then I'll just sort of book something very quickly and go, if that makes sense. You know, oh, yeah, I think definitely. it's quite easy to be able to get in the car and just go <laughs> through the tunnel and, you know, drive. So, yeah, I mean, it was the spontaneity. And I just, I don't know what my hometown's like anymore. I mean, you know, it's such a long time since I've been there. But I suppose, for want of a better word, it was very parochial and small. And he seemed to be very expansive, which I found exciting. So how did the abuse start? Uh, at what point did he start this abusive behaviours? Um, well, it became very gradually because, you know, I, in those days I didn't know or I wasn't really interested in personal development. I mean, I was very much into my, my work and my, my job. I was an incredibly confident young woman, but it was that... 
there were little signs um, which I just sort of pushed off. So, for example, it would be if I suggested we went and saw some friends of mine, he would not be very happy about it. He would create a bit of a fuss. And then when we did actually get to them, if, we, if you know, they didn't live near us and we went to stay overnight at a weekend or something, he would be incredibly rude. You know, he'd get quite drunk and then be totally and utterly obnoxious. And I just found that so embarrassing. And, you know, I would sort of say something to him when we got back and he said, oh, well, you know, I've had a few drinks. It's no big deal. So he wasn't understanding how embarrassing that made me. And, you know, that happened lots of times um, to the, you know, to an extent that I stopped seeing my friends. I would see them myself, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, with see, go with him. I wouldn't invite him. So, for example, I would just go and see them on my own. If he was away, I would, you know, I'd know in advance and then I would just go and see them myself. I mean, they were very kind, my friends. They didn't say anything, but I knew they were thinking, what the hell is she doing with that complete jerk? Did your friends find his behaviour rude to them? I'm sure they did. But as I said, they never said anything because they didn't want to embarrass me. But my family certainly did voice their objections. You know, they weren't backward at coming forward. They sort of said, you know, he's rude. They'd never met anybody so rude and what have you. And it's only on reflection, you know, 20 years afterwards that he was absolutely and utterly jealous of other people that came into my life. He wanted total control of me, um, which is absolutely ludicrous when you think about it. And it's a bit like if you hit your thumb with a hammer, after a while you don't feel it. You You just become numb to these situations. There were instances, I mean, there were a couple of a few instances actually over the 20 odd years we were together where he was having affairs. I knew he was. And on one, one point, we'd been together about five years, it happened and we split up. And uh, I didn't realize how difficult it is to get out of a relationship with a narcissist. Because within about 48 hours of me saying, right, this is over, I'm, you know, you you want to be with somebody else, you go with them. I just, I'm not playing this game. So within about 48 hours, he's ringing me constantly. I, I didn't have a mobile phone in those days, but... Nobody um, had. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did. He was one of the first to get wow. one because it, with his, yeah, with his job. It was yeah. a brick, I can tell you. It was huge. Wow. Um, but the... Um, Oh, that's quite impressive then. (laughs) (laughs) But he would ring me constantly at work. You know, I'd have to tell the switchboard, you know, please don't put any calls through from him. So the poor woman on the switchboard was forever having to make excuses saying I wasn't around. And he'd then uh, just appear because I'd moved into a new flat and he then appeared at my door. And, uh, you know, all sorry and, you know, I'm, let's get married. You know, I know you want children. Let's get married. We can have children, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I wanted this relationship to work. I was really upset when uh, we split up. But I obviously still loved him or I thought I loved him at the time. 
and uh, I wanted it to work. So within six months, we were married. How did the relationship progress after marriage? Was it still like? Uh, well, he didn't. He was. Well, it, he. It's you know, emotional abuse is sort of something that creeps up on you. You know, there there are no scars. You can't see any scars from emotional abuse. Definitely. And what it does is it makes you feel like you're going out of your mind because you can't believe situations have happened, like not coming home. I mean, narcissists have absolutely zero empathy. So with each child I had, within two weeks, he had gone off on a boy's holiday to the other side of the world for the rugby. And he what? thought that was okay to leave. When you still had a child of two weeks old? Yes. Yeah. Oh. He thought that was absolutely fine to do that. When you, when you were, first of all, I was a, an older mob, mother because I had my children, uh, you know, in my sort of mid-late 30s. I didn't have any family around because they were still in Manchester. And So you were um, left on your own with the kids? Totally left on my own. And I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, you know, especially with my first child, I hadn't got a clue. So you definitely needed the support. You needed him to be around more. Yeah. Could it have been that he was just lost completely in the whole fatherhood, husbandhood, marriagehood thing? And he didn't know what to do? But, you know, it... As I say, on reflection and hindsight, he is incapable of providing emotional support. He's a taker. You know, narcissists are takers. They don't give. And it, they make you feel incredibly unworthy and small that you question your self-worth all the time. One of the attributes of narcissists is that they... They don't empathize with other people. They don't understand what other people are feeling. So everything is centered around them. They Absolutely. Want, they want everything to be about them. And because there's a child involved, they think your attention is on the child now. So mm. they, they're trying to get your attention in a way. And that's why it probably goes away thinking by the time it comes back, then you would have missed him long enough to appreciate him being around, I think. Yeah, maybe. I don't know what was going on. I had got all these hormones running through me uh, after just having uh, a child. I'm trying to get my body to heal and, you know, to be left on your own, unsupported, even to make you a cup of tea or, you know, what have you. I just, I think I, I... it was almost like it's so unbelievable. I can't believe it's happened. Does that make sense? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> it was like I'm, I'm going to wake up from this because it's not really happened. But he, he would reluctantly, when he was home, you know, feed the baby or, you know, change the uh, nappy and things like that. He was not a hands-on father. And, and he definitely wasn't a hands-on uh, husband. It was almost like I'd, you know, got three children in the house. Oh, wow. So 
why did you still stay married to him in spite of all this? Well, it's a very good question and uh, one that my family did ask me. And I think the thing was that I was very conscious of the children. You know, they were very young. I know the eldest, well, they both, you know, adored him when he was around. And, you know, he was their father. I kept, And I think it's interesting, you know, when you are subjected to this sort of narcissistic abuse, you do, there's something happens where you blame yourself. It's all, you know, I just thought it was all my fault. You know, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing that right. I'm not doing the other right. You need to try better, Marie. You need to try harder. You need to be this. You need to be that. You know, you feel like you're going mad. Um, at that time, uh, because of my youngest son's diagnosis, uh, when he was two, I stopped working altogether. So I was then financially dependent. On him. On him. So it was, it was not easy. I tried to leave several times. And if there's anybody listening here who has or is in a, in a relationship with a narcissist, you will know that it's incredibly difficult to leave a narcissist because they will not uh, see, you know, they will not be seen to fail. If anybody's going to break anything, it's going to be them. You know, I mean, it's incredibly, it's a very destructive personality disorder, being a narcissist. You know, it's, I'm not, I don't think they can help themselves to a certain extent because it's a, a personality disorder. The hand, it's almost as though you can't believe that they, you know, do the things they do. So, you know, I can remember on the millennium, Eve, 1999, New Year's Eve, I'd said uh, that I couldn't put up with this any longer and that we were going to split up. And it was the same old, same old. He was really upset. Uh, let's try again. I'll, you know, I'm really, really sorry. You know, we've got too good a thing going. What about the boys? And then there's all that sort of emotional blackmail. You know, you don't want to break this, you know, that. I didn't say happy family because I would have just laughed in uh -huh. disgust. But, you know, you don't want to break this unit up. Think of the boys, you know, think of this, think of that. Think of everything that we built together, et cetera, which was, you know, every time we talked about, I talked about us leaving, it was all about what we had built together. But when he was talking, not in those situations, everything was about what he built. Does that make sense? Yeah. It was all about him and it what was, he built. That's the way they control your mind. It's exactly. like, yes, he has to turn things around when it comes to trying to manipulate things around. It's always like Thanks. about the two of you. And then yeah. when it comes to other things, it's always, yeah, it's me. I'm, in the, I'm the one in control. It's me. It's all about me, 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 me. So they're all fixated a, on themselves, <laughs> really. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, they're, they're only interested in themselves, absolutely. And then I came to another head in um, 2006, and I really, I, I just said, you know, that is it. I just couldn't go on. I mean, I just emotionally, mentally, I just could not go on anymore. And, and I sort of said that, you know, this is it. Um, I really don't care what, whatever. 
And he sort of, he said, he didn't sort of say, he definitely, he, he said quite categorically, yeah, I, I agree. Things haven't been good. I think we should go to therapy. Oh. So I thought, okay, let's, you know, let's do this. If he's good, you know, if he is, I mean, again, I just didn't understand narcissistic personality Behavior, disorder. Yeah. I didn't understand it at all. I'd never even heard of it, to be honest with you. And I just sort of thought, okay, that's the first time he's actually sort of admitted there's an issue and that we need outside help to to deal with this. And again, it all came to a head because he was having another affair. And but he I knew he was, but he refused to acknowledge it. And uh, so we went to see this therapist, um, which was very interesting. But I could I knew that he wasn't buying into the process. He had no sorrow or apology for his behavior. You know, he never once said, I'm sorry for all the hurt I've caused you. And um, I sort of said to the therapist with in front of him, I said, he doesn't he doesn't get the damage that he's caused. You know, I said he still won't admit to having affairs. Sorry. He said, so I had an affair. What's the big deal? And I looked at the therapist. I said, how is that helpful? How is that reaction helpful? How are we going to move forward from this? It was bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. So how did that make you feel him not being apologetic and him, he was just controlling the situation? Totally, totally controlling. But I mean, this is how delusional narcissists are. We would walk out of the therapy session together and then he'd say, right, where will we go for lunch? As though nothing had happened. So it wasn't about talking about (laughs) what you've gone through it wasn't about him being apologetic and him realizing that he's been hurting you or anything. It was just, okay, you wanted us to do this and we've done it now. So let's move on. Let's go on to the next topic. Let's do the next thing. Yeah. It's almost like, okay, I've gone to the therapy. I've done the therapy. I mean, we did this therapy for about four, about four months. And I just said, this is a waste of time. And it's almost as though he was just doing the motions. There was no way, uh, which, of course, now I know, because as a therapist now myself, to treat a narcissist is incredibly difficult because they don't think there's anything wrong with them. Mm-hmm. They don't think they have any issues. You know, I didn't know that then, but, um, you know, I, I know it now. So, yeah, that was interesting. So we sort of struggled along for another couple of years. And then my eldest son, you know, they were my boys were getting older and my eldest son didn't have a particularly good relationship with his father. They'd gone off on a skiing holiday. I was uh, I was at home. I think it, I can't remember. It was half. No. Yes, it was half term. And um, anyway, he came home, but didn't tell my, my they, they came home and I, they'd had a, quite a good time, I think. But I knew there was something wrong with my eldest son, but he said he was fine. But anyway, at Easter, he told me that he'd been sharing his father's phone charger and had seen lots of inappropriate texts between his father and some woman. Really? And that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. To, that my 
poor darling boy had seen that I just said right that's it and I just said to um, the husband I said right you know I confronted him about it and um, I said that's it it's over I said you just move out now and that was when was that 2011 so nearly 10 years ago now then we went through a very very acrimonious divorce that took seven years wow seven years yeah, because he's a narcissist. It's all about him. And it was all about his, you know, we, <laughs> the, the law says that everything gets split 50-50. And in fact, I probably could have had more than 50-50 because I wasn't working. Yeah. Uh, but I, I only wanted 50-50. But he didn't want to give me a penny. Wow. That, so. must, that must have been <laughs> difficult for you. It was incredibly difficult. But, and were you, you know, working at this time? I was a full-time mom. I can talk about, you know, my son, the youngest son, and the trials and tribulations with that. But I, what I did is how I got through it, one of my values is justice. Uh, to me, justice is very important. And it doesn't matter what it's about or who's involved. But if I feel as though I'm being treated unfairly, then I really sort of... Yeah, I go all out. Unfortunately, because I've been in the law for many years. You knew the laws. Well, I didn't know the divorce law because I didn't, you know, that was not my area. But I knew that there was no, no, you know, court in the land that was ever not going to give me at least 50 percent. Does that mean that makes sense? Yes. (laughs) Um, And it did. I mean, you know, it took strong liver and kidneys to go through that but how I dealt with it you know I started working on myself you know with personal lots of personal development I started doing trainings etc etc and I learned to actually treat it as a business transaction rather than an An emotional yeah it's helped many people now you know through their uh, divorces and you have to shift your mindset and you take the emotion out of it. I mean, you know, I know it sounds very easy and it's, and it's not, but you have to work on yourself to be able to take the emotion out of it and treat it as a business. And how was the divorce procedure? How, what was the effect on your children? Well, I mean, basically I was, I, I very, very strongly would never, ever call the father to the children at all. He is their father. I chose him to be their father. I never discussed the divorce with them at all because at the end of the day, he is their father. And they, well, certainly the, um, the eldest will, and already has, you know, get to know the cut of his jib. I, I don't need to, I would never badmouth. I mean, I'm not. A, I don't badmouth people off anyway. But I certainly wouldn't badmouth my um, children's father to them. So they because yeah. at the end of the yeah, at the end of the day, I'm dissing half of their DNA. Yeah, that's true. That's reasonable. Are the children still in contact with their father right now? Yes, I mean, basically, and they have a good uh, relationship. 
The eldest doesn't have a good relationship with him at all. And, and it's quite interesting because with narcissists, they're all very friendly and everything's hunky-dory if you're doing what they want. And my eldest son does not have anything in common with his father, really. You know, they've both got different likes and dislikes. So there's no, not a lot of common ground. So the father... He will only do anything that's of interest to him. What do you mean? So, for example, he won't go... If he, say, you know, my eldest son wanted to go and play hockey, but his father is not interested in hockey, his, his father wouldn't go and watch him. He, so he won't, you know, he won't meet him halfway? No, no, no. Narcissists don't meet anybody halfway. Not even, even you know, for his family. child. Yeah, now I know it's bizarre, isn't it? But yeah, so. uh, I'm not saying every narcissist is like well. that, but certainly uh, this particular narcissist, mm. uh, no, certainly not meet, uh, meeting halfway. And also it's um, because of, um, what's the word I'm trying to, trying to get out? It's like... Exploitation? No, it's not exploitation. No, what I'm trying to say is that um, certainly this narcissist, he views his children as a reflection of him. So what I'm trying to say is if he doesn't like what a child has done, uh, he, he takes it personally. He doesn't consider the child to be an individual. Well, you know, my eldest, um, my eldest son is now in his mid-20s and his father doesn't agree with a lot of a lot of the stuff or doesn't like a lot of the stuff that my son is interested in. So they have nothing in common. So it's almost as though he's washed his hands of him because he doesn't like what he's doing. So I suppose no, I'm it's not a bit saying anything. Yeah. I'm not saying anything that, you know, my eldest son certainly doesn't already know. This situation is just they have a strange relationship. It doesn't work. I mean they just don't no, have common yeah. grounds to meet. There's no common ground. There's yeah. no common ground there at yeah. all. Yeah. And uh, his father is very sort of manipulative to him and the eldest one can see through it. So yeah. actually... Well, it, it sounds like you've, you've done well for yourself and you've recovered from it now. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically, as I say, I've done a lot of work on myself over the last uh, 10 years. Well, yeah, 10 plus years. And um, I've built a new life for myself and I've never been sort of happier and healthier. And um, so it's, it's sort of a, it's a gift to be able to help women in similar situations, to be honest with Did you. Did you go back to study law? All right. No, I mean, basically, I, I retrained totally um, as, a, as a therapist and NLP practitioner. I've done lots and lots of, as a, and a, lots of sort of trainings and certifications, uh, diplomas in uh, personal development. And I've just gone back to college to do uh, psychotherapy. Okay. So what do you do as a psychotherapist now? Well, I don't, I'm still studying as a psychotherapist. Okay. But um, I mean, basically I'm working now as a coach and um, a clinical hypnotherapist to help well, people who are stuck in their lives. So, you know, there could be... Um, stuck in their lives in what way? <laughs> in 
Certainly married women who okay. feel single, you know, if you if women who are in relationships like I was, okay. where you're married but you feel like a single person. Oh yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, women who are either thinking of getting divorced or separated, women who are going through divorce and separation, women who've gone through it all but then can't seem to get on with the rest of their life. Um, you know, there's unfortunately a lot of women, especially sort of women in the late 40s, early 50s, who have been divorced for a couple of years, but can't seem to get a new life for themselves. They're still living in the past. And I'd help them to actually let go of the past and start to get confident about themselves, uh, to love themselves more and be their own best friend and then that gives them the confidence to be able to go on and rebuild something for themselves oh that's amazing so what's your website uh, it's just mariefraser.com mariefraser.com and do you have other social media platforms yeah, I'm on Instagram as uh, Marie Fraser Change Agent. Um, I believe I'm an agent for change, helping people to change from being stuck and small and scared to actually, you know, finding the courage to reveal who they really are and embrace that and live their life with freedom. Okay. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much for support on domestic violence and domestic abuse. The National Domestic Abuse Appline and Web Chat is open for anyone who needs support in recognizing abuse. It's for women and young people. And the number is 0808 It's available 24-7. We will take a quick break, and when we get back, we will continue to the next part of this recording. Don't go away. Please stay tuned. This is going to be awesome. What is Gen X? What is the silent generation? What do generations have in common? Hi, I'm Trish the Dish from the Gen X Voice. invite you to listen to conversations I have with folks from different generations, backgrounds, beliefs, and experiences in an attempt to see what rather than divides us. Even though Gen X has been called slackers, Karens, or not mentioned at all in some cases, we are the bridge generation, so I feel compelled to do my part to destroy ageism by bringing all these voices together. And, as a bonus, each guest gets to answer some 80s questions at the end of each show. So download and listen to Gen X Voice today Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to us. And let's see how much we have in common after all. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Marie Fraser. She's based in the UK. She has been a victim of emotional abuse. And that went on for over 25 years. She also has a 23-year-old son who has several disabilities. So join us as we continue in this great story. 
Can you talk about your son's disability? I can, yes. I mean, that was a hell of a shock. Um, that was in 19... Well, he was born in 1997. He was um, absolutely perfect and gorgeous and what have you. And as he was uh, growing, uh, you know, in, in the first few months and what have you, with both babies, I went straight to work within three months because I, you know, my job was really important to me. It was my identity. So my eldest was in a particular nursery and also my parents had moved to be near us. So they, they were like my nannies. All right. And I was going to ask, how <laughs> were you able to cope with a three month old yes. baby yeah. and going to work? Yeah, my parents moved to be close, which was fantastic. I mean, they'd retired by that point. So they, as I said, they were my uh, my nannies yeah, exactly. and, and drive my kids around. So both boys were in nursery. And, you know, the youngest was very, very left-handed. I mean, he was such a happy baby. He was so, you know, really, really happy. Mm-hmm. And nobody sort of said anything or mentioned anything And he was, you know, very, very laid back. But on his first birthday, which was in 98, the health visitor came around and said to me, Marie, there's something not quite right. And I was very, what do you mean? There's nothing quite right. What do you mean? And she just said, I think you need to go and see a pediatrician. So the following day, I went to the hospital where he was born and took him to the pediatrician. And he just very matter-of-factly, very coldly said, well, he's got cerebral palsy. Wow. And I had never heard of that. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know whether it was life-limiting, life-threatening, whether it – I didn't know what it meant. And so the next – well, I can't remember, actually, the first couple of months. I was just in such shock. Yeah, because that must have been shocking. I mean, for somebody to just blot that out to you – but also the fact that you think you've got a normal, healthy baby mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you've not. And I mentioned he was left-handed and I wasn't, you know, he was very left-handed. And I never bothered about that because my my mum's left-handed. His paternal grandfather was left-handed. So you thought it was in the gene. Yeah, and his brother, my eldest son, is left-handed. Oh, yeah, so I so just awful. thought, oh, we, we've got another left-hander here. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, literally, I was on a roller coaster or conveyor belt of test after test after tests. And, you know, cerebral palsy is a bin for neurological problems. And of course, you know, they just don't manifest in isolation. There's lots of syndromes that come with it. And, you know, it took a very, it took me 10 years to get a complete, complete diagnosis. diagnosis yeah and I luckily when I, I was working for Americans when uh, he was uh, diagnosed and you know I'd got off the, the company had got offices all over the states and they you know I'd got people saying oh you know come over to California we've got this amazing doctor you know come over to Boston we've got this come over to wherever we've got that Anyway, I, I sort of chatted to this um, neurologist in uh, San Diego and he said, oh, by pure chance, he said, I'm working with a doctor, a German doctor 
in um, university hospital in Cardiff. Oh, wow. So, yeah, which was great. So I uh, took him over to in see In UK? This, so yeah, Cardiff in Wales. In yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So we so. took him <laughs> over to see this woman. And, you know, she gave us this diagnosis of um, Worcester drought syndrome and what, you know, all the other things that were going on for him. So, I mean, the main discipline, well, you know, cognitively, he is never going to be able to live on his own. It's almost, you know, sort of physically, it's like he's had a stroke down his right side and he has oromotor difficulties. So he's a high risk choker. So, so how does that affect him? He's, he does. He can't chew food. Yeah. Um, so all his food has to be, you know, speci- uh, specific, specific consistency mm-hmm. and uh, and things like that. But, you but know, when he was younger, I mean, yeah, when you thought you had a normal baby, uh, were there any signs at all? Well, the only signs that he had was that he was a very chesty baby. And, uh, you know, he had quite a few um, chest infections. Yeah, Yeah. chest infections. Um, Not really infections, like coughs and what have you. So I was very concerned about this. And I kept taking him to the doctor, the GP, and he just kept saying, oh, you know, he's a chesty baby. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. And then there was one time I just thought, this isn't right. I mean, I didn't know what I was looking for i mean it was just my gut reaction as a mother i just thought this is all wrong yeah, something was so, wrong yeah yeah so i actually when he was about six months old seven months old i put him in the car and i took him to a and e and we ended up staying in for a week because he had bronchiolitis and um, you know babies can get bronchiolitis but on you know, years later, the reason that he was getting bronchiolitis, because of his um, high-risk choking situation, there is a flap in your esophagus. And it's when you're eating and drinking, it moves incredibly quickly to take away any food or liquid going from down your throat into your lungs or into your stomach Stop. so with the, my son there would be times when it would go into his lungs and not his stomach and that's why he was getting uh, chesty oh. but of course they didn't know he had a neurolog you know we didn't know he had a neurological problem at that time so as i say he was yeah a chesty baby but it was um it wasn't that that calls the health visitor to sort of say something's not quite right. I think it was the fact that he wasn't using his right side properly and his right, probably not sitting up as he should have done, which, as I say, I didn't notice. Even the nursery, who by then had been working with him for nine months, you know, they never picked anything up either. And they were all very sort of highly qualified uh, nursery nurses and what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was just one of those things. So, yeah, it was a hell of a shock. It, you know, it, you go through a massive grief for the child that you thought you had that you don't have. And the grief now is, you know, when I'm no longer around. How is it going to cope? Exactly. I mean, he can never live alone. 
So right now, how is he supported? Is he living alone right now? No, 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 no. Basically, there is a uh, sort of, by law, he should be protected under the Child Care Act, the Education Act, the uh, care services. I mean, there's a whole host of legislation out there that is meant to protect people like my son. Yes. Unfortunately, it also costs a lot of money and local authorities don't want to spend it. So what... In terms happened, of EHCP, you mean? That's right. My son has had an EHCP. Well, they used to be called um, statements. Um, a statement. It was a statement in the 90s. It's now an uh, HCP, um, healthcare, and um, I can't even remember what it's called. An EHCP, Education, Health and Care Plan. And he is protected. You know, people like him are protected by various legislation. But unfortunately, local authorities do not want to spend the money and they will make your life absolute hell to avoid spending money. Yeah, the thing I find with ESCP is that the actual institutions like is college, is primary school, secondary school or college, they need to have spent a certain amount of money on, on him for ESCP to come in. Yeah, but it's... The, well, then, what? because the schools don't want to spend that money, then ESCP will say, oh, that the school hasn't spent anything, so we can't come in. We can't spend well, anything. Yeah, but it's not as straightforward as that. When he was... When he went to his first school, because I wasn't sure what his development was going to be like, and, you know, neurologists couldn't tell me, I decided to put him into mainstream education because I'm a great believer in that if you play tennis with somebody who's a better player than you, you'll up your yeah. game. Yes. So from a social point of view, it was fantastic. From an educational point of view, it was an absolute and utter disaster. Because uh, you're absolutely right. There was a certain amount of money allocated to him in education, but uh, it wasn't enough. So the school were having to go into other parts of the budget, uh, which they couldn't afford. And so he ended up not getting what he really needed. So I then decided that mainstream was not for him. So when he was 11 and leaving that, and also it, was, it then became a bit of a nightmare because as his peers were moving further away from him as they were growing up, he was very isolated. So when they all went there, age four and a half, it was fantastic. They were all together. Yeah. But, you know, young kids, they grow and mature, you know, mature and experience. And different faces, yeah. Yeah. That my son was being left further and further behind. So I decided that then we needed to look at special needs schools. And, of course, they do not come cheap. But on the other hand, there is legislation out there to protect people like him who cannot cope in mainstream. So unfortunately for me, I have had to go to um, four tribunals to get his education, health and care plan. So at the moment, he is in his last placement, which is, you know, very good, although the last few months have been a bit of a 
nightmare with COVID, um, he's in his last section of education because it, under an EHC plan, you they can be educated to 25. Oh, so wow. the next battle will be trying to find him a residential placement. Okay. Yeah. And um, I know that will be a battle because, you know, there's there's a battle for residential care for older people. And there isn't the sort of places that, um, you know, can cater for his needs. You know, he's got specific needs, especially with his choking, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, my last tribunal was last year. So I always give myself 12 months off before I have to go. Because it's quite intense. Oh, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. I can imagine. And, you know, it's very difficult not to become emotional about that because you're talking about your children. Yeah. But he's an incredibly happy guy. He is very close to his father indeed. They both uh, go to Manchester United football. They've got season tickets there. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And they both like... The world, you know, the uh, world war thing. So the big into tanks and stuff. So he has a very, very good relationship with his father, which is great. And I mean, they're obviously not seeing one another at the moment because of COVID. But, um, you know, when there is a home match at Manchester United, then uh, they go off, uh, they go off to that. So, but yeah, I mean, he's great. I mean, he's very determined. He's got his own way of doing things. Uh, he's very funny. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's a joy to be around. But as I say, you know, I, I do worry about what's going to happen when his father and I are not around anymore. But, but you know, some res- a bit of responsibility will be on his brother. I know that. But anyway. Well, I just <laughs> wanted to say to you there is a... Uh... You are an incredible mother. You've been through a lot and try not to worry too much about him. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I know, know it's, it's something that you do. <laughs> I mean, parents do that. Even when you have a 90-year-old child and you're still around at 110, you still think, oh, my child, my child, even though they're 90. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's yeah, but it's true. Yeah, I mean, my, I know. My, yeah, my mother is exactly the same with me, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I'm not a mother, but I know how my mother was with me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's just something, it's, it's a maternal instinct. It's, I mean, sometimes you see fathers that are really close to their daughters. You see sons that are close to their mothers. It's just that bond. So, yes, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. an emotional bond there and it cannot be broken when it's there. So, but I, what I would just say is think of yourself and think of how to support yourself through this. I know you want him to be okay. You want everything to be okay after you leave. But when you're gone, you're gone. <laughs> you won't have to think about it. So yeah, you, no, that's absolutely true. Make, I know. Make arrangements <laughs> for him now. If you can, I mean, I don't know how, um, if you can make preparations for him, but I mean, you cannot take care of everything. That's just what I'm trying to say. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, seriously, you're so right. And, and then I do, you know, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm getting better as I'm getting, uh, you know, 
as I'm getting more used to this situation. It's just that, you know, as I say, and, and as you say, you want to do the best you can while you're here. And you're yeah. absolutely right. When I'm not here, well, you know, it'll, it'll be fine. Yeah, it will be. I mean, worry what myself. So I worry about everything from, oh, oh how am I going to be? Oh, how is this? Well, right now I've come to that level where I take one day at a time, one minute at yes. a time, you know, Sometimes they say, oh, yeah, just take one, one week. I say, I don't even take one week at a time. I take one day at a time. And if I can take one day at a time, I take one minute at a time. And if I can take one minute at a time, I take one second <laughs> at a time. So that's how life should be. Please. Yeah, I think that's very wise. <laughs> oh, that's the way it, it has been for me. I mean, I've had so many issues with my life as well, but. I think maybe when we have time. So it's, it's something that happens, life happens. But I mean, when life throws lemons at me, I just make lemonade from it and move on. So, Good. That's yeah. the right attitude to have. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, throw, no, it really is. Throw stones that turn into stepping stones. Throw bricks that throw into whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I crush it and go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, that's so yeah. funny. So, so thank you so much for sharing all these emotional issues. I know it can't be easy to share all these, but I really appreciate all the um, stories you've shared today. But no, one other sure. thing I wanted to ask is, with the COVID situation, how has it impacted on? your son emotionally i know you say you speak to him regularly yeah oh, how does he feel emotionally i think that it's been very difficult for him because he's a very sociable sort of guy and he's missed going to his football terribly uh, i do know that but i think that um and also where he is it's a great place but they've also had a lot of staff who've gone sick and things like that so they've not been able to do as much activities as as they normally would but he's mm. yeah he's okay he's okay and I think in the circumstances you know because he doesn't understand uh, abstract concepts so this virus thing is just very abstract for him he's actually bearing it very well I'm so sorry about that. I know it's it's been difficult for everybody, especially with the social distancing and mm. everybody going. I mean, what you say people have been sick where he is as well. So that must have been extra difficult for him. I hope I will have time to invite you again on my podcast. Thank you, Toyin. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. And Thank you. A big thank you to all our listeners who have been sending us messages through the message link. I would like to thank everyone who has listened in so far and contributed to this podcast. Thank you so much. We couldn't have done anything without you. Keep listening, keep sharing, keep downloading and keep liking. Thank you again.